0: Chapter Two of the Story of a Soul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulet. The Story of a Soul. The Autobiography of Saint Therese of Lisieux. Translated by Thomas Taylor. Chapter Two A Catholic Household all the details of my mother's illness are still fresh in my mind i remember especially her last weeks on earth when selene and i felt like poor little exiles every morning a friend came to fetch us and we spent the day with her once we had not had time to say our prayers before starting and on the way my little sister whispered must we tell her that we have not said our prayers yes i answered so very timidly selene confided our secret to her and she exclaimed well well children you shall say them then she took us to a large room and left us there celine looked at me in amazement i was equally astonished and exclaimed this is not like mamma she always said our prayers with us during the day in spite of all efforts to amuse us the thought of our dear mother was constantly in our minds i remember once when my sister had an apricot given to her she leant towards me and said We will not eat it. I will give it to mamma. Alas, our beloved mother was now too ill to eat any earthly fruit. She would never more be satisfied but by the glory of heaven. There she would drink of the mysterious wine which Jesus, at his last supper, promised to share with us in the kingdom of his father. The touching ceremony of extreme unction made a deep impression on me. I can still see the place where I knelt and hear my poor father's sobs. My dear mother died on August twenty-eighth, 1877, in her forty-sixth year. The day after her death my father took me in his arms and said, Come and kiss your dear mother for the last time. Without saying a word I put my lips to her icy forehead. I do not remember having cried much, and I did not talk to anyone of all that filled my heart. I looked and listened in silence, and I saw many things they would have hidden from me once i found myself close to the coffin in the passage i stood looking at it for a long time i had never seen one before but i knew what it was i was so small that i had to lift up my head to see its whole length and it seemed to me very big and very sad fifteen years later i was again standing by another coffin that of our holy mother genevieve and i was carried back to the days of my childhood footnote this holy nun had been professed at the carmel of Portier, and was sent from there to make the foundation at le in eighteen thirty eight her memory is held in benediction in both these convents in the sight of god she constantly practised the most heroic virtue and on december fifth eighteen ninety one crowned a life of good works by a holy death she was then eighty-six years of age End footnote. memories crowded upon me it was the same little therese who looked at it but she had grown and the coffin seemed small she had not to lift up her head to it now she only raised her eyes to contemplate heaven which seemed to her very full of joy for trials had matured and strengthened her soul so that nothing on earth could make her grieve our lord did not leave me wholly an orphan on the day of my mother's funeral he gave me another mother and allowed me to choose her freely we were all five together looking at one another sadly when our nurse overcome with emotion said turning to celine and to me poor little dears you no longer have a mother then celine threw herself into marie's arms crying well you will be my mother now i was so accustomed to imitate celine that i should undoubtedly have followed her example but i feared pauline would be sad and feel herself left out if she too had not a little daughter so with a loving look i hid my face on her breast saying in my turn and pauline will be my mother that day as i have said began the second period of my life it was the most sorrowful of all especially after pauline my second mother entered the carmel and it lasted from the time i was four years old until i was fourteen when i recovered much of my childish gaiety even though i understood more fully the serious side of life i must tell you that after my mother's death my naturally happy disposition completely changed instead of being lively and demonstrative as i had been i became timid shy and extremely sensitive a look was enough to make me burst into tears i could not bear to be noticed or to meet strangers and was only at ease in my own family circle there i was always cherished with the most loving care my father's affectionate heart seemed endowed with a mother's love and my sisters were no less tender and devoted if our lord had not lavished so much love and sunshine on his little flower She never could have become acclimatized to this earth. Still too weak to bear the storm, she needed warmth, refreshing dew and soft breezes, and these gifts were never wanting to her, even in the chilling seasons of trials. Soon after my mother's death, Papa made up his mind to leave Alencon and live at Lisieux, so that we might be near our uncle, my mother's brother. He made this sacrifice in order that my young sisters should have the benefit of their aunt's guidance in their new life and that she might act as a mother towards them. I did not feel any grief at leaving my native town. Children love change and anything out of the common, and so I was pleased to come to Lisieux. I remember the journey quite well, and our arrival in the evening at my uncle's house, and I can still see my little cousins, Jean and Marie, waiting on the doorstep with my aunt. How touching was the affection all these dear ones showed us! the next day they took us to our new home les boussinets situated in a quiet part of the town footnote this house an object of deep interest to the clients of Sor therese is much frequented by pilgrims to Sue, Editor. and footnote. i was charmed with the house my father had taken the large upper window from which there was an extensive view the flower garden in front and the kitchen garden at the back All these seemed delightfully new to my childish mind, and this happy home became the scene of many joys and of family gatherings which I can never forget. Elsewhere, as I said before, I felt in exile. I cried and fretted for my mother, but here my little heart expanded and I smiled on life once more. When I woke there were my sisters ready to caress me, and I said my prayers kneeling between them then pauline gave me my reading lesson and i remember that heaven was the first word i could read alone when lessons were over i went upstairs where papa was generally to be found and how pleased i was when i had good marks to show every afternoon i went out for a walk with him and we paid a visit to the blessed sacrament in one or other of the churches it was in this way that i first saw the chapel of the carmel look little queen papa said to me behind that big grating there are holy nuns who were always praying to almighty god little did i think that nine years later i should be amongst them that in this blessed carmel i should receive so many graces on returning home i learnt my lessons and then spent the rest of the day playing in the garden near papa i never cared for dolls but one of my favourite amusements was making coloured mixtures with seeds and the bark of trees if the colors were pretty i would promptly offer them to papa in a little cup and entice him to taste them then my dearest father would leave his work and smilingly pretend to drink i was very fond of flowers and amused myself by making little altars and holes which i happened to find in the middle of my garden wall when finished i would run and call papa and he seemed delighted with them i should never stop if i told you of the thousand and one incidents of this kind that i can remember How shall I make you understand the love that my father lavished on his little queen? Those were especially happy days for me when I went fishing with my dear king, as I used to call him. Sometimes I tried my hand with a small rod of my own, but generally I preferred to sit on the grass some distance away. Then my reflections became really deep, and, without knowing what meditation meant, my soul was absorbed in prayer. Far-off sounds reached me, the murmuring of the wind, sometimes a few uncertain notes of music from a military band in the town a long way off. All this imparted a touch of melancholy to my thoughts. Earth seemed a place of exile, and I dreamed of heaven. The afternoon passed quickly away, and it was soon time to go home, but before packing up I would eat the provisions I had brought in a small basket. Somehow the slices of bread and jam, prepared by my sisters, looked different they had seemed so tempting and now they looked stale and uninviting even such a trifle as this made the earth seem sadder and i realized that only in heaven will there be unclouded joy speaking of clouds i remember how one day when we were out the blue sky became overcast and a storm came on accompanied by vivid lightning i looked round on every side so as to lose nothing of the grand sight a thunderbolt fell in a field close by and far from feeling the least bit afraid i was delighted it seemed that god was so near papa was not so pleased and put an end to my reverie for already the tall grass and daisies taller than i were sparkling with raindrops and we had to cross several fields to reach the road in spite of his fishing tackle he carried me in his arms while i looked down in the beautiful jeweled drops almost sorry that i could not be drenched by them I do not think I have told you that in our daily walks at Lisieux, as in Alençon, I often used to give alms to the beggars. One day we came upon a poor old man who dragged himself painfully along on crutches. I went up to give him a penny. He looked sadly at me for a long time, and then, shaking his head with a sorrowful smile, he refused my alms. I cannot tell you what I felt. I had wished to help and comfort him, and instead of that, I had, perhaps— hurt him and caused him pain. He must have guessed my thought, for I saw him turn round and smile at me when we were some way off. Just then Papa bought me a cake. I wished very much to run after the old man and give it to him, for I thought, well, he didn't want money, but I am sure he would like to have a cake. I do not know what held me back, and I felt so sad I could hardly keep from crying. Then I remembered having heard that one obtains all the favors asked for on one's first communion day. This thought consoled me immediately, and though I was only six years old at the time, I said to myself, I will pray for my poor old man on the day of my first communion. Five years later I faithfully kept my resolution. I have always thought that my childish prayer for this suffering member of Christ has been blessed and rewarded. As I grew older my love of God grew more and more. I often offered my heart to him, using the words my mother had taught me, and I tried very hard to please him in all my actions taking great care never to offend him and yet one day i committed a fault which i must tell you here it gives me a good opportunity of humbling myself though i believe i have grieved over it with perfect contrition it was the month of may eighteen seventy eight my sisters decided that i was too small to go to the may devotions every evening so i stayed at home with the nurse and said my prayers with her before the little altar which i had arranged according to my own taste everything was small candlesticks vases and the rest two wax vestas were quite sufficient to light it up properly sometimes victory the maid gave me some little bits of real candle but not often one evening when we went to our prayers i said to her will you begin the memorare i am going to light the candles she tried to begin and then looked at me and burst out laughing seeing my precious vestas burning quickly away i begged her once more to say the memorare again there was silence broken only by bursts of laughter all my natural good temper deserted me i got up feeling dreadfully angry and stamping my foot furiously i cried out victory you naughty girl she stopped laughing at once and looked at me in utter astonishment then showed me too late the surprise she had in store hidden under her apron two pieces of candle my tears of anger were soon changed into tears of sorrow I was very much ashamed and grieved, and made a firm resolution never to act in such a way again. Shortly after this I made my first confession. Footnote. This first confession was made in the beautiful church of St. Pierre, formerly the cathedral of Lisieux. Editor. and footnote. It is a very sweet memory. Pauline had warned me, Therese darling, it is not to a man but to God himself that you are going to tell your sins. I was so persuaded of this that I asked her quite seriously if I should not tell Father Dulcier that I loved him with my whole heart, as it was really God I was going to speak to in his person. Well instructed as to what I was to do, I entered the confessional, and turning round to the priest, so as to see him better, I made my confession and received absolution in a spirit of lively faith my sister having assured me that at this solemn moment the tears of the holy child jesus would purify my soul i remember well that he exhorted me above all to a tender devotion towards our lady and i promised to redouble my love for her who already filled so large a place in my heart then i passed in my rosary to be blessed and came out of the confessional more joyful and light-hearted than i had ever felt before It was evening, and as soon as I got to a street lamp, I stopped and took the newly blessed rosary out of my pocket, turning it over and over. What are you looking at, Therese dear? asked Pauline. I am seeing what a blessed rosary looks like. This childish answer amused my sisters very much. I was deeply impressed by the graces I had received and wished to go to confession again for all the big feasts, for these confessions filled me with joy. The feasts! What precious memories these simple words bring to me! I loved them, and my sisters knew so well how to explain the mysteries hidden in each one. Those days of earth became days of heaven. Above all, I loved the procession of the blessed sacrament. What a joy it was to strew flowers in God's path. But before scattering them on the ground, I threw them high in the air, and was never so happy as when I saw my rose-leaves touch the sacred monstrance. And if the great feasts came but seldom, each week brought one very dear to my heart and that was sunday what a glorious day the feast of god the day of rest first of all the whole family went to high mass and i remember that before the sermon we had to come down from our places which were some way from the pulpit and find seats in the nave this was not always easy but to little therese and her father every one offered a place my uncle was delighted when he saw us come down he called me his sunbeam and said that to see the venerable old man leading his little daughter by the hand was a sight which always filled him with joy i never troubled myself if people looked at me i was only occupied in listening attentively to the preacher a sermon on the passion of our blessed lord was the first i understood and it touched me deeply i was then five and a half and after that time i was able to understand and appreciate all instructions if saint teresa was mentioned my father would bend down and whisper to me listen attentively little queen he is speaking of your holy patroness i really did listen attentively but i must own i looked at papa more than at the preacher for i read many things in his face sometimes his eyes were filled with tears which he strove in vain to keep back and as he listened to the eternal truths he seemed no longer of this earth his soul was absorbed in the thought of another world Alas! many long and sorrowful years had to pass before heaven was to be opened to him, and our Lord with his own divine hand was to wipe away the bitter tears of his faithful servant. To go back to the description of our Sundays. This happy day which passed so quickly had also its touch of melancholy. My happiness was full till compline, but after that a feeling of sadness took possession of me. I thought of the morrow when one had to begin again the daily life of work and lessons, and my heart— feeling like an exile on this earth, longed for the repose of heaven, the never-ending Sabbath of our true home. Every Sunday my aunt invited us in turns to spend the evening with her. I was always glad when mine came, and it was a pleasure to listen to my uncle's conversation. His talk was serious, but it interested me, and he little knew that I paid such attention. But my joy was not unmixed with fear when he took me on his knee and sang Bluebeard in a deep voice. About eight o'clock, Papa would come to fetch me. I remember that I used to look up at the stars with inexpressible delight. Orion's belt fascinated me especially, for I saw in it a likeness to the letter T. "'Look, Papa,' I would cry, "'my name is written in heaven!' Then, not wishing to see this dull earth any longer, I asked him to lead me. And with my head thrown back, I gazed unweariedly at the starry skies." I could tell you much about our winter evenings at home. After a game of drafts, my sister read aloud Don Garange's liturgical year, and then a few pages of some other interesting and instructive book. While this was going on, I established myself on Papa's knee, and when the reading was done, he used to sing soothing snatches of melody in his beautiful voice, as if to lull me to sleep, and I would lay my head on his breast while he rocked me gently to and fro. Later on we went upstairs for night prayers, and there again my place was beside my beloved father, and I had only to look at him to know how the saints pray. Pauline put me to bed, and I invariably asked her, Have I been good today? Is God pleased with me? Will the angels watch over me? The answer was always yes, otherwise I should have spent the whole night in tears. After these questions my sisters kissed me, and little Therese was left alone in the dark. I look on it as a real grace that from childhood I was taught to overcome my fears. Sometimes in the evening Pauline would send me to fetch something from a distant room. She would take no refusal, and she was quite right, for otherwise I should have become very nervous, whereas now it is difficult to frighten me. I wonder sometimes how my little mother was able to bring me up with so much tenderness, and yet without spoiling me, for she did not pass over the least fault. It is true she never scolded me without cause, and I knew well she would never change her mind when once the thing was decided upon. To this dearly loved sister I confided my most intimate thoughts. She cleared up all my doubts. One day I expressed surprise that God does not give an equal amount of glory to all the elect in heaven. I was afraid that they would not all be quite happy. She sent me to fetch Papa's big tumbler, and put it beside my tiny thimble then filling both with water she asked me which seemed the fuller i replied that one was as full as the other it was impossible to pour more water into either of them for they could not hold it in this way pauline made it clear to me that in heaven the least of the blessed does not envy the happiness of the greatest and so by bringing the highest mysteries down to the level of my understanding she gave my soul the food it needed joyfully each year i welcomed the prize day though i was the only competitor justice was none the less strictly observed and i never received rewards unless they were well merited my heart used to beat with excitement when i heard the decisions and in the presence of the whole family received prizes from papa's hands it was to me like a picture of the judgment day seeing papa so cheerful no suspicion of the terrible trials which awaited him crossed my mind but one day god showed me in an extraordinary vision a vivid picture of the trouble to come my father was away on a journey and could not return as early as usual it was about two or three o'clock in the afternoon the sun was shining brightly and all the world seemed gay i was alone at the window looking on to the kitchen garden my mind full of cheerful thoughts when i saw before me in front of the wash-house a man dressed exactly like papa of the same height and appearance but more bent and aged i say aged to describe his general appearance for i did not see his face as his head was covered with a thick veil he advanced slowly with measured step along my little garden at that instant a feeling of supernatural fear seized me and i called out loudly in a trembling voice papa papa the mysterious person seemed not to hear he continued his walk without even turning and went towards a clump of firs which grew in the middle of the garden I expected to see him reappear at the other side of the big trees, but the prophetic vision had vanished. It was all over in a moment, but it was a moment which impressed itself so deeply on my memory that even now, after so many years, the remembrance of it is as vivid as the vision itself. My sisters were all together in an adjoining room. Hearing me call, Papa, they were frightened themselves, but Marie, hiding her feelings, ran to me and said, Why are you calling Papa when he is at Alenon?" I told her what I had seen, and to reassure me they said that the nurse must have covered her head with an apron on purpose to frighten me. Victory, however, when questioned, declared she had not left the kitchen. Besides, the truth was too deeply impressed on my mind. I had seen a man, and that man was exactly like my father. We all went to look behind the clump of trees, and, finding nothing, my sisters told me to think no more about it. "'Ah, that was not in my power!' often and often my imagination brought before me this mysterious vision often and often i tried to raise the veil which hid its true meaning and deep down in my heart i had a conviction that some day it would be fully revealed to me and you know all dear mother you know that it was really my father whom god showed me bent by age and bearing on his venerable face and his white head the symbol of his terrible trial footnote it seems advisable on account of the vague allusions which occur here and elsewhere to state what happened to m louis martin at the age of sixty-six having already had several partial attacks he was struck with general paralysis and his mind gave way altogether End footnote. as the adorable face of jesus was veiled during his passion so it was fitting that the face of his humble servant should be veiled during the days of his humiliation in order that it might shine with greater brilliancy in heaven. How I admire God's ways! He showed us this precious cross beforehand. As a father shows his children the glorious future he is preparing for them, a future which will bring them an inheritance of priceless treasures. But a thought comes into my mind. Why did God give this light to a child who, if she had understood it, would have died of grief? Why? Here is one of those incomprehensible mysteries which we shall only understand in heaven, where they will be the subject of our eternal admiration. My God, how good Thou art! How well dost Thou suit the trial to our strength! At that time I had not the courage even to think that Papa could die, without being terrified. One day he was standing on a high stepladder, and as I was close by he called out, Move away, little queen! If I fall, I shall crush you! instantly i felt an inward shock and going still nearer to the latter i thought at least if papa falls i shall not have the pain of seeing him die for i shall die with him i could never say how much i loved him i admired everything he did when he explained his ideas on serious matters as if i were a big girl i answered him naively It is quite certain, Papa, that if you spoke like that to the great men who govern the country, they would take you and make you king. Then France would be happier than it was ever been. But you would be unhappy, because that is the lot of kings. Besides, you would no longer be my king alone. So I am glad that they do not know you. When I was six or seven years old, I saw the sea for the first time. The sight made a deep impression on me. I could not take my eyes off it. Its majesty and the roar of the waves all spoke to my soul of the greatness and power of God. I remember, when we were on the beach, a man and woman looked at me for a long time, then, asking Papa if I was his child, they remarked that I was a very pretty little girl. Papa at once made a sign to them not to flatter me. I was delighted to hear what they said, for I did not think I was pretty my sisters were most careful never to talk before me in such a way as to spoil my simplicity and childish innocence and because i believed so implicitly in them i attached little importance to the admiration of these people and thought no more about it that evening at the hour when the sun seems to sink into the vast ocean leaving behind it a trail of glory I sat with Pauline on a bare rock and gazed for long on this golden furrow, which she told me was an image of grace illumining the way of faithful souls here below. Then I pictured my soul as a tiny bark with a graceful white sail in the midst of the furrow, and I resolved never to let it withdraw from the sight of Jesus so that it might sail peacefully and quickly towards the heavenly shore. Chapter 2